I can remember back when I was uh, a boy in school, sometimes we would have substitute teachers, and, and that meant, on occasion, a pretty light day. Sometimes we could get by with not doing a lot of work. But I can remember one particular situation where a substitute teacher came in, and she passed out at the beginning of class 10 worksheets. And we were thrilled, needless to say, and she said to us, at the end of class, I'll be taking up these worksheets, and your teacher said that they will go toward your grade. Well, as I looked at those worksheets, you could tell they were nothing but busy work. We, something to keep us uh, from getting into trouble, something to fill the time. And as a kid, I was just so frustrated. I don't want to do a bunch of busy work, but I understood it was going to impact my grade. So, so I did it, but it felt like I was just going through the motions. And I wonder sometimes if there's a parallel between that stack of busy work and life, at least in our perception. For many, life really is nothing more than just going through the motions. There's not a lot of meaning to it. There's not a lot of of intentionality or hope. It just seems like you go through the motions, you do this and you do that. Well, until your heart beats a final beat. And then it's the end. It's all over. What's the point? Most of us here today have, have lost a loved one at some point in, in our lives. And we've gone to the funeral and out to the graveside. And if you stick around, you'll watch that casket lower. And the dirt will be replaced. And at that moment, you recognize the cold, hard reality that is death. What's the point? It's a question worth asking. This morning's text will help us as we think through these kinds of questions. We'll be in Luke 24. At this point in time, Jesus' body has been beaten bloody. His flesh has been nailed to the cross as those nails pierced his skin and went into the wood. He's hung on the cross. Every breath has been an effort there on that cross. And he struggled for each breath until he did it. And then it was over. It was all over. His body was taken down and laid in a tomb. Many of his disciples watching on, watching the drama of his death unfold, his burial unfold. And we'll pick up in the text where some of the ladies who were faithful followers of the Lord Jesus were coming to, to anoint his body with spices a part of the burial process. Let's look at Luke 24, beginning in verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. 
But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they didn't believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. In these verses, we see that Jesus has risen from the dead. And we're going to see this changes everything. It changes everything. Look at verse 1. It's early, early on a Sunday morning. These ladies are, are going to the tomb. They're planning to, to anoint his body with these, these spices, um, a way to honor him and to, uh, uh, to, to prepare him for, for the grave, if you will. In Mark's gospel, we know that they were wondering how they were going to deal with this big stone that was covering the mouth of the tomb. The tomb would have been a, like a cave-like uh, um, opening in a rock, and, and a, roll, uh, a rock was, was in front of it. And a, uh, Usually, there was a channel cut out for this rock to, to be placed, so this giant rock is, is at the tomb. When the ladies get there, they see that the stone has been rolled away. And so now there's got to be questions going through their mind. Well, we were wondering how we're going to do this. Is someone inside there? What's this going to be like? And they walk in, and there is no body. Now imagine what's going through their mind. The scriptures tell us here in verse 4 that they were perplexed. Now I want you to imagine that you've been gone all day, and you come home, and your front door is standing open. All kinds of questions are going through your mind. The same kinds of feelings they must have been feeling as they walked and saw this tomb empty. And so they're perplexed, and suddenly two men, we know from Luke 24, verse 23, and the other Gospels, that they were angels, but two men appeared to them. Now, some of the Gospels will only mention one man, for example, or or pardon me, one angel, but uh, it's as if they only highlight the, the angel who's speaking. Perhaps one of the angels was dominant or was the spokesperson. But here from Luke, we know that there were two angels. And the women, when they saw these angels in their dazzling clothes, now they're frightened. They fall down on their faces before the Lord. They're confused. And the angels say to them, why? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Now, in the words of an old country song, this is something like going to Arizona for oceanfront property. It doesn't make any sense. The angels are saying to them, why Are you coming to a tomb? You're looking for Jesus. He's not here. He's alive. The angels are saying to the women, He has been resurrected. He's been resurrected. And and then the angels, almost, almost rebuking the ladies in a sense, say, remember what He told you back when He was still in Galilee. He told you that He must be handed over to sinful men, that He must be crucified, and then He would rise. And so the angels remind them of the truths of the gospel that Jesus had taught his disciples and and these ladies would have known. Now I want you to notice in verse 7, the angel said, these things that must be. Now these are important words in the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. They must be. What does this teach us? It teaches us that God is sovereign It teaches us that he has a plan, and in the midst of the sinfulness of men, God is able to accomplish his purposes. What is the worst day imaginable? Well, if you're alive then and you're a follower of Jesus, it's to watch him die and suffer on the cross and to begin to feel hopeless as his body lay in the tomb. And yet, 
we recognize these things must be. Why? Because God has a plan. So in the midst of the darkness and challenges of life, if we belong to him, we recognize that he has a plan. Things are not out of control. What hope there is here that on the darkest day in human history, God had a plan. He was at work. What good news for those of us who belong to Christ, who are in him. And so the ladies began to remember what they were told. Oh, wait, Jesus did say that. Wait, wait. And it all began to come together for them. Now, they didn't understand things exactly, but they were getting the picture. He really is alive. And so they ran back and, and they told the others. We know from John's gospel that Mary Magdalene ran ahead and, and Luke sort of summarizes here. But when they told the disciples, what did the disciples do? Well, they did what many people do today when we talk about the resurrection of the Lord. They said, nonsense. Are you kidding me? What does the scripture say here in, in, verse, uh, in verse 11? They say, this is idle talk. You, you ladies, uh, we don't believe you. You're, you're crazy. But what does Peter do? Well, Peter takes off running. He heads to the tomb and he gets to the tomb and he looks in there. And he sees those linens there. And he marveled. He marveled at what was going on. Now, Peter didn't get a full understanding at this point in time, but it's beginning to come together. It's beginning to become real to him that what Jesus taught, he really meant, that what Jesus said was really occurring. And so Peter is is taking this in. He's marveling at it. Well, the question for us is what difference does the resurrection make in, in our lives? What difference does the resurrection make? Well, first, because of the resurrection, death is changed. Death is changed. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, the Apostle Paul wrote this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. So Paul is saying to Christians, we don't want you to grieve like the people who really have no hope. You see, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, all who are in Christ have hope. And so death hurts for those of us who are left behind. But if we're in Christ, there is hope. And if you are a believer and you die, death isn't the end and death isn't the beginning of a terrible eternity separated from God and hell. Death is entry into God's presence if we're in Christ. What an incredible truth from Scripture. The resurrection means that death has been conquered. And those of us who are here, yes, when loved ones die, we grieve and our hearts are broken, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Because the resurrection changes death. But second, we see that the resurrection means that life is changed. Life is changed. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does this mean? This means that when we come to know Jesus and we become a child of God, that That the Holy Spirit lives within us and and he gives us peace in the midst of difficult circumstances. He gives us strength and joy. A strength and a joy and a peace that all the, the things that we chase after could never bring us. And so when we know Jesus, this life makes sense. This life begins to have purpose and and we have strength. I want you to imagine for a moment that you've been placed in a giant maze. Acres and acres. Miles and miles of maze. And these are the instructions you've been told. Find the end. And hours go by and you're walking and walking and walking, tirelessly walking. 
Hours turn into days, and days turn into weeks, and you're walking. At the end, it's never in sight. And in reality, you've been placed in a maze that has no end. You're wandering around needlessly, pointlessly. I want you to know that if you believe the prevailing secular worldview, that's life. You're wandering around, and there's real, really no point. There's really no, no, nothing that, that makes sense of things. Yes, we can learn more. We can become more sophisticated. We can gain uh, and, and, and knowledge and advance in knowledge. But in the end, if you do not believe there is a God, it's an endless maze. It is utterly meaningless. But if you are in Christ, life matters. You see, the resurrection means that this life is nothing like an endless maze. Instead, it's the work of a sovereign God who's, who's working in our lives to bring about our good and his glory. And life has meaning and purpose that it could never have if the prevailing secular worldview, the, the, this notion, this idea that there is no God. Ah, there's hopelessness there, but in Christ, oh, there's great hope. So we believe in a God whose son left the glories of heaven and he came and he walked this earth as a man. A man, as I mentioned a moment ago, who was nailed to the cross. Why? Why did God send his son to be nailed to a cross? Why must, as we saw in verse 7, this must be why? Well, because God is completely pure and he can't overlook evil. He can't just say, oh, evil's no big deal. Sin, it's no big deal. Instead, a, a God of complete purity says evil has to be judged. And you know what the cross does? It makes a way for God to judge evil, but not you. It makes a way for you to avoid the, the judgment of God against evil, sin, and wickedness. And so you see, when we, when we come to Jesus at the cross and we cry out to him and say, Jesus, I want you to forgive me. I believe you came and died, that you were nailed to the cross, that you were buried, and that you rose again, and I want to follow you. The Bible says when we do that, God saves us. It means that we have eternal hope. That's why he came. That's why he suffered and died, so that we could know him, so that God could, could remain holy and righteous and judge sin and evil, and yet make a way for sinners like you and me to be saved. What good news! So we've seen the resurrection means that death is changed. It means that life is changed. But third, it means that eternity is changed. Eternity is changed. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What's Paul saying? He's saying that if we're in Christ, one day we'll have resurrection bodies too. One day we'll live eternally. What an incredible truth. This life isn't a dismal and meaningless experience. No, in Christ, this life, it prepares us for eternity. Prepares us to enjoy and know God for eternity. And not just that. After Jesus' resurrection, he came and he appeared to, to lots and lots of people here on earth. And then he was ascended. He was taken back up into heaven. And in Acts 3.21, we see that Jesus will remain in heaven until the time of restoring all things 
about which God spoke. What does this mean? It means that at the end of time, not only will we receive resurrected bodies like Jesus, but it means that God's going to restore all things. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And Revelation 21.3 says it like this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. So the resurrection means that death is changed, life is changed, eternity is changed, and forth, it leaves us with the question, have you been changed? And I left a blank there in your notes so that you could write your own name there because I want us to think through this personally. Has Lonnie been changed? So when Peter walks in and he sees the tomb empty in verse 12, he's marveling. He's blown away. It's beginning to, to become real to him. It's beginning to become something he grasps. He's marveling, but I wonder, have you, have you come to the place where you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, where the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is having an impact in your life? Yes, Peter marveled at these things. He was blown away. Now, you'll remember that the disciples were very skeptical when they first heard that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Again, that sounds like many today who are skeptical uh, of the Lord Jesus. But I want you to recognize that these gospel accounts are eyewitness testimonies or recordings of those who were eyewitness testimonies. Now, some will say, well, look at the, the Gospels. If you look at the Gospels and you look at the resurrection accounts, they don't agree with each other. They contradict one another. Is it the way John said it? Is it the way Mark, Matthew said it? How about Mark or Luke? Which one of these guys are we supposed to believe? Um, but in reality, what the Gospels do is they give us uh, independent witnesses for the resurrection. And just like you would expect today, if four people saw the same events, we would tell the story differently. We would all be able to tell the truth, even if we told the truth in a different way. It would be clear that it was true. And so we don't believe for a minute that the gospel accounts contradict one another. In fact, good scholars have worked through them and have explained how, they, how, they, how it all fits together. But what we believe is that this is evidence of genuine, real eyewitness accounting, where if four people saw the same thing, they wouldn't use the exact same words. But instead, they would tell their story from their point of view. And, and we would see, and we believe the Gospels are completely true, that, that they don't contradict one another. So instead of these differences in the Gospels being evidence against the resurrection of the truthfulness of Scripture, instead, they're evidence that supports it because they're independent witnesses pointing to the fact that they didn't get together and corroborate to make a story up. If, they were, if the early church had tried to make a story up, they, hey, we're going to make up this resurrection story, hey, let's get together and make sure everything, no one can try to say, well, this doesn't make sure everything matches up. No, and that you would have expected some kind of a, unif a very absolute uh, kind of uniformity, but you don't see that. You see the richness of eyewitness accounts, people who, who observe these events or are recording those who observe these events. 
Only a rigid skeptic would look at the gospel accounts and say that they contradicted. A fair-minded person would look at the gospel accounts and say, you know what, these uh, do not contradict one another. Instead, they complement one another. Now, there are a lot of reasons that we can believe in the truthfulness of the resurrection. And this morning, we just don't have time to, to talk about many of them. But you could go back to the prophecies that had been made about Jesus in years past, hundreds of years before, and how they played out and were fulfilled. You could, you could consider how Christianity was transforming the known world. These eyewitnesses who, who saw the resurrection, many of them died just a few years later for preaching the gospel, for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Now, they believed it so much that many of them were willing to give their very lives. Now, it would be strange to give your life for something that you knew was a lie. No, they believed it so much that they put their neck on the line. And many, many were martyred for their faith because they were preaching the gospel, the truth of the resurrection. Now, I want you to know this morning, it's entirely possible to rub up against Jesus and still miss him. To, to get so close to Jesus and then still miss him. I, I want to explain it in, in Luke 18. There was a rich man who came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, what do I, what do I got to do to be saved? And they had a little conversation back and forth, and, and Jesus said to him, what I want you to do is I want you to sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then you can, you can be my follower. Well, then Jesus wasn't saying that it was wrong to own anything. We know that from, from what the rest of Scripture teaches. Why did he tell that rich man to sell all that he had? Why? Because the God of that rich man was his wealth. And so you can't have two gods. Jesus understood that. You're either going to follow him or you're going to follow someone else. And so what did the rich man do? He walked away sad. Some of you this morning are going to rub right up against Jesus and you're going to walk away. What a heartbreaking thing to do here at Easter. You're going to rub right up against him. Maybe, maybe you have. When you were younger, you went through catechism or you were, you were baptized or you came to the front at the end of the service and you prayed a prayer, but, but all these years it's not made any difference in your life at all. In reality, you're just like this rich man who rubbed right up against him. And then you walked away. It never made any real change or difference in your life. That is a terrible tragedy. So have you been changed by the reality of the resurrection? Have you Truly put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus is the reality of resurrection in your life. Or is the resurrection, I'm sorry, reality in your life. So you could say it like this. I suppose you were interested in skydiving and you read all about skydiving. And you were interested in skydiving, so you watched all these videos on YouTube about skydiving. Or you went out to where people were skydiving and you watched people skydive. It's incredible. Look at this. But you still haven't gone skydiving. You want to know what skydiving is really like? Well, you're not going to find it out by reading, ultimately. You're not going to find it out by watching, ultimately. You're going to find out about skydiving by jumping out of a plane. Now, many of you, or some of you here today, you know about Jesus, but you've never jumped out of the plane. This morning, God's saying to you, jump. Come to me. I'm offering you life. I'm offering you eternity. Would you come? Turn from your sin and believe in me and follow me. And what an offer. It's going to change death. It's going to change life. It's going to change eternity. It will change you. This morning, do not brush up against him and walk away. 
In H.G. Wells' novel, 1984, the main character, Winston, he opposes this totalitarian regime, Big Brother. And he resists and he resists, and eventually he finds himself being tortured by a man that he thought was his friend, a man man named O'Brien. And at one point, O'Brien is speaking to Winston, and he says, if you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Is that the picture of the future? Utter hopelessness. Well, you know what? If the resurrection's true, then the future is not despair. If the resurrection's true, then the future is hopeful. It's incredible. It's wonderful if you're in Christ. You see, the resurrection changes everything. It gives meaning to life. It gives us hope for eternity. What an amazing Beautiful truth. Jesus has risen from the dead, and this changes everything. So, brothers and sisters, find hope in the fact that the Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead. You know, in those dark days when his body was in the tomb and there was grief, and your dark days, remember that that the resurrection happened, that there's hope. Oh, don't walk through life if you belong to him in despair find hope in him find hope in the fact that that he raises the dead that he brings new life and draw close to him don't live your life like the other things are more important no find life and joy in him not in all these other things that we chase after the resurrection ought to change everything about us and then finally I want to appeal to you again If you're here today and you've watched the skydiving videos and you've read about skydiving but you've never jumped out of the plane, I'm pleading with you today, jump. Call out to him. Be saved. Join me in prayer.